time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. This is the Retirement Roadmap Podcast, the podcast that helps you learn a little bit more about the financial landscape and what you can do to improve potentially your situation going forward. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Glenn Mosseller. He's the registered financial consultant and founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting. You can find us online at greensbororetirement.com or find Glenn in the office there on Mears Chapel Road in Greensboro. And if you have any questions, be sure to listen through today's program. I'll give you some other ways you can get in touch at the end of the show. And on today's show, Glenn, we're going to be talking about 50 shades of... Oh, no, no, not the movie. Fifty Shades of Gray Area in today's program, Glenn. All financial talk here on the show. But it's kind of interesting because I'm sure you've seen this before, before we even get into some of the examples on today's show. You know, not everything in the financial planning world is black and white. In fact, would you say that most things aren't black and white? I would agree, Walter. I mean, I think everybody's situation is different and their goals and concerns are different. So whenever you layer that on top of a particular topic that comes up, I mean, everybody's going to be in a little different place. And so it, it makes it very hard to just give, you know, just absolute answers to say, well, you know, in all situations do this or in all situations do that. There's always shades of gray. And, and obviously that's the discovery process that you go through to really determine what is the right thing for you. You know, it might be a black and white answer for you, but your black and white answer might not be be the same black and white answer that somebody else has. And that's, of course, what makes it gray. Yeah, it's a great point. So there are some things in the financial world that do require maybe a more nuanced discussion because of these gray areas. Let's cover some of those popular areas where there's not a right or wrong answer. This one we've tackled on a couple of podcasts way in the past, but let's dive into why there's such a, you know, two sides to this story and maybe even multiple sides to this story, whether or not to pay off the house early. Right. Well, Walter, again, I mean, it kind of depends. I mean, we, we always like to have the idea of being able to have the house paid off. The question is, what does that really mean? Right. And people say, well, what do you mean? What does that mean? You know, the, if you have it paid off, then there's no mortgage balance. Right. And that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is that if you have a mortgage balance and you've got that amount of money or more sitting off in another account that you could pay it off at any time, then in essence, you have the ability to have it paid off. And so now you look at it and say, well, is it better for me to continue to have this in place or is it better for me to pay it off? So different people are going to be in different situations and different answers are going to come up. Right. We've talked a bit about this in the past is, you know, I mean, where are you in life if you're in your early years and, you know, and, you know, you're just starting down the road, you know, and you've got mortgage payments and you've got, you know, your kids and lots of deductions and so forth. Well, you know, maybe it makes some sense to have that mortgage in place. And obviously, you know, if you have money sitting alongside, you know, obviously coming up in your accumulation years, well, there's going to be different things. If you have kids and whatnot, you're going to be paying for college probably and a variety of different things that are going to happen along the way as you're transitioning, you know, towards towards retirement years and whatnot, you know, in other situations. Oftentimes folks will ask me and I'll have that question, particularly when I'm sitting down with folks and we're before their clients and we're really kind of, you know, building a plan. We ask and talk about that, you know, the house and the mortgage and, you know, if they're going to live in that house throughout retirement and they're planning to move. There's a lot of different variables that come into the house into a mortgage. Well, one of the things that you really have to think about, a lot of folks think, I want to get rid of that payment. I really don't want that payment to be there anymore. And I get that. And that's an important you know, thing to think in terms of what is your cash flow? You know, how much money is coming in versus how much is going out? 
one thing that I always, you know, caution folks about is, or, you know, just say, let's think this through, is that, you know, more often than not, you know, when you're either in your retirement years or you're getting ready to retire, a lot of times folks, you know, are late in their mortgage. What I mean by that is like, say, for instance, they have a 15 year mortgage, maybe they've got five years or less, you know, left on it, you know, they've already been paying on it for maybe 10 years, or if they're in a 30 year mortgage, maybe they're in the last, you know, five or 10 years of that mortgage. And so the what we know about the way that mortgages are is that, you know, they're typically very front loaded to the interest being paid, you know, more of your payment is interest at the beginning of the mortgage and in the early years of the mortgage. And as you move towards the later stages of the mortgage, well, more and more of every payment that you make is going towards principal, which obviously principal is money. That's your money. That's your equity. Right. And so if you have very little interest in there and mostly principal, then the question is, you know, well, does it make sense to move the money from an account that you have access and control over into the house where now if you if you put it into the house, now your access to that money is limited. You can only get that money back in one of two ways. Either you borrow it back out, in which case, you know, you ask permission to get the money back or you sell the house and then you have the proceeds from, you know, from the sale of the house. So you want to think about that. Another thing to think about, too, is that if you've got that payment and, and if most of that payment is going towards principal and you think in terms of, well, you know, what are the implications of me taking this money and just paying off the mortgage? Obviously, the payment goes away, which on, on one hand, that's a good thing. But on the other hand, you start thinking about it and you start maybe think about inflation and how does inflation work? And you think in terms of, well, you know, when you went to the store, you know, five years ago, did your dollar go further than it goes today? And obviously the answer is yes. I mean, the, the inflation happens and things cost more over time. Well, if you have a fixed payment on your mortgage and that payment is going towards your equity and you're able to pay it out over time and just pay the payment that is due to the mortgage company, then that means, you know, five years from now, the money that you're giving to them in inflation in inflation weighted terms is less valuable than today's dollars, if that makes sense. So when you start thinking about that, do you want to take your most valuable dollars of where you have access and control over? And do you want to now transfer that and just give that to the mortgage company when most of the money that you're going to be paying on those mortgage payments in the future, if you're in those late years, like we're talking about, is going to be going to your equity anyway. And so those are some really, you know, detailed things that you really need to think about as to whether or not you want to just absolutely just go and pay it off or whether or not you want to maybe just say, hey, I could pay it off, but let me take advantage of the fact that, you know, I know that those payments in the future are not going to feel as heavy because, you know, tomorrow's dollars are not as valuable as today's dollars when we take into account inflation. A lot of interesting, I think, considerations there because there's just so many different sides of that story. Sometimes you may feel more strongly from an emotional standpoint one way or the other. Sometimes you just want to take it from the approach of the dollars and cents idea. It's just so many different ways you can look at that conversation. And so I think that's why a lot of people feel very strongly on one side or the other. But in reality, you know, there's that gray area there. Well, that's right, Walter. And there's like I say, there's not a right or wrong answer. You know, I mean, I've gone through that analysis with folks in the past and they say, you know, hey, I've never thought about that before. It does make sense for me to maybe, you know, continuing to make the payments. I've had other folks say, you know, OK, looking at that analysis, I get it, you know, but at the same time, just emotionally, I'd like to have that thing paid off. And so just because we go through that analysis, it may not be really heavy in one direction or the other, but 
you would at least want to be making decisions based on facts, you know, and, and the information that's really there rather than just basing, you know, your decisions on just pure emotion. Yeah, you could have two exact same scenarios and two different couples to decide to go in two different directions just because of how they feel on the subject. And then you could have two people feel the same way, but because of the way the dollars and cents, you know, work out, they go in different directions. So there's lots of different ways that one can play out. I think another great example to throw into this discussion of, you know, gray area topics, Glenn, would be when it comes to doing a Roth conversion or not. Some people feel very strongly that you should convert to a Roth in your account. Others, maybe not so much. Why is there some gray area in that topic? Well, Walter, you know, that that's always a challenging question as to whether or not to do Roth conversions or not. And one of the big questions, you know, that comes into play is obviously the tax implications, right? Because if you take a distribution from a traditional IRA or a traditional 401k or that type of pre-tax account, then anytime you take money out, there's going to be taxes to pay, right? If you do a Roth conversion, the money that you converted into the Roth account would be in the Roth account, but you would have to pay the taxes in order to get it into that account. And it's treated as far as you know, on your tax return, almost like it was a distribution as well, right? And so you have to think, okay, well, does it make sense to do that and pay the taxes now on that those future dollars? And again, it depends. I mean, what are our goals? You know, when we look at what are future tax rates going to look like? How old are you? Have you taken Social Security yet? You know, is there a, does it make sense to do this conversion? What ultimately do you think you're going to spend all the money in this account or do you think you're going to leave it for kids and grandkids? And so when we start thinking about all of those different variables, the answer is going to be different for different people. That's a very in-depth question and it's going to be different for a lot of folks. It's one of the things that we do a lot of in terms of tax planning and legacy planning as to what folks want to do. Um, one of the interesting things to know about a Roth is not only are, you know, once you've moved the money in there and you've, you, you already paid the taxes, now the money goes in there. We know that, you know, that there's a few rules around it, but in general, you know, if you go out in a few years, then your distributions out of there are going to be tax free. Well, the other thing that folks don't really realize a lot of times is, is that on a Roth IRA, if it's either your Roth IRA that you started or, you know, and you inherit it from your spouse, in either one of those cases, there's no such thing as a required minimum distribution, right? And so that means that if you don't really need to take the money from that Roth, you don't have to, and that could keep growing tax-free for a very long time before it went to, you know, to your kids or grandkids. And so that can be a, a, you know, part of a legacy plan, you know, as to whether or not it makes sense to, you know, to pay taxes, you know, on some of that money now to create the ability to have it continue to grow tax-free for a longer period of time. One of, that's one of the questions that we ask in terms of legacy planning for that. Another thing is, well, if you need the money, you know, what are your different income streams going to be? You know, most people are going to have, you know, their Social Security, maybe a pension. And certainly if they've got IRAs or 401ks, they're going to have distributions come. If nothing else, they're going to start coming at 70 and a half when they have to start taking the money. And then we start looking at, well, how far away are you from 70 and a half? Have you gotten there yet? Does it make sense to possibly look at what the tax brackets are and how much income is going to take you to the next tax bracket? Do you think you know, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket or a lower tax bracket in the future? Let's look at that. Let's analyze that. Let's make a determination. And sometimes it makes sense to you know, think in terms of doing some conversion. Now, a lot of times people think about Roth conversion. They think, well, we're just going to convert the whole thing. And you might do that, you know, and you might do that in one year. 
But more often than not, you know, if you've got a sizable balance, it might be a strategy that you go through over a number of years. And maybe you do partial conversions, you know, for a number of years, and you manage the, you know, the, your tax bracket, so to speak. So there's a lot of variables there, Walter. That really, there's like I say, can't really answer as to whether or not it's the right thing or the wrong thing. But once we go through that analysis, and then you can at least know whether you believe it's going to be right or wrong for you. But you can't really make that determination until you've gone through that analysis and and you take into your account your goals and and your concerns, and also what your future income is going to be like and what that's going to be on your tax return. Got to have that conversation for sure. That's the Roth conversion to convert or not is the question when it comes to Roth, and that's why there's a lot of gray area in that topic. What about permanent versus term life insurance policies? A lot of gray area between those two? There are, Walter. I mean, it really depends upon, you know, are you going to need that death benefit? no matter what, right? Because if you have permanent life insurance and it's there, it means it's there until you die, you're going to absolutely positively have a death benefit, right? As long as, you know, you've kept the policy in force. Different people are going to be in different situations. We, you know, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. And, you know, sometimes that's a legacy plan for kids and grandkids. Sometimes it's an, you know, an income replacement for a spouse, a lot of times folks think, well, you know, the term is a lot cheaper. Well, you know, certainly the premiums are a lot cheaper on term. But at the same time, if you look at an analogy, you know, renting is cheaper than buying in the short run, right? You know, like if you're thinking about, you know, buying a house or where are you going to live? But, you know, if you bought a house, you know, you realize, you know, hey, when I first started off in the early years, you know, buying that house was more expensive than renting was. But then if you're in that house for a while and you've been making those payments to the mortgage for a while and you look over time, well, you know, rents tends to go up over time. And if you've got a fixed mortgage, then your payment stays the same no matter what. Well, you know, life insurance is kind of a similar analogy there in terms of, you know, well, is it more expensive or less expensive? The challenge is most term policies, you know, will expire at the end of the term. Then in essence, the insurance company keeps all the money, right? You know, you you had that coverage for that period of time that you had it. But unless you passed away while you had that insurance, then, you know, in essence, you transferred those monies to the insurance company. I mean, insurance companies love, love, love term insurance because, they almost never have to pay out a death claim. So, you know, when you think about it is, you know, well, what is going to be the right thing for you? Well, again, we have to do some analysis to determine, is it going to be the right thing for you in your particular case to have a permanent policy? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes a term policy is the perfect fit. But, you know, I mean, I oftentimes hear the you know, different financial entertainers on the radio and, and on TV and whatnot that'll tell you that permanent insurance never makes sense. And, you got to be really cautious when you hear the words always and never, right? Yeah. Because there's always exceptions to every single rule, and there's going to be times when permanent insurance is a perfect fit, and there's going to be times when it doesn't fit at all. And that's the same thing that's going to hold true for term. What I would say is that you really need to do some analysis and probably sit down with, with a holistic planner and have them look at where you are and have those conversations and determine. Because a lot of times folks don't realize that, you know, hey, there's a need there and, and I didn't really know that. And particularly now with today's types of policies, because so many policies have, have living benefits if they're permanent policies. And, and it's not just all about the death benefit. You know, it might be long-term care. There, there might be access to be able to, to get to your cash value while you're still alive. There's a variety of different things that, that come into play when it comes to in, you know life insurance. And it's a much deeper conversation and more variables to it than, than most people think. 
it's an important conversation, certainly, to talk about life insurance and then that nuanced discussion of, all right, well, which one, term life or permanent life? And that's a pretty good breakdown, Glenn. But what about Social Security? If we're talking about gray area, that certainly seems like a good subject matter to bring into this conversation. Should you put off Social Security? Should you take it earlier? Seems like a lot of unknown and, and gray area in that conversation as well. There is, Walter. And, you know, surprise, surprise. We, <laughs> it depends. We need to do some analysis, right? There are situations where it makes sense to take it early. There's a lot of situations where it makes sense to delay, right? One of the key questions is, are you single or are you married? You know, when are you going to actually retire? Are you thinking about taking your Social Security while you're still working? You know, and how old are you, at, you know, when you're thinking about doing that? Have you reached your full retirement age? Or are you thinking about taking Social Security before you've reached your full retirement age? There's a lot of variables in there as to whether or not that's going to make sense to do this versus that. The other thing that comes into play is taxes with Social Security. You know, Social Security is kind of an interesting thing in the tax code because it's not inherently taxable, meaning that it's not automatically taxed. However, depending upon how much other income you have, your Social Security benefits can become subject to taxation. And so when you start thinking about that, when you start taking Social Security should also come into your income planning strategy and your tax planning strategy. And that might change you know, your initial response. You might think, well, I'm planning on taking it here and it might make sense to do that until you take the tax considerations into account. And then that might end up changing the, you know, the equation a little bit. And you say, oh, well, it makes sense more to do this versus that. And again, it's a little bit more in-depth analysis. You just got to be careful about saying, well, it always makes sense to take it earlier. It always makes sense to take it you know, late. And most of the time, folks think in terms of you know, taking it as early as they possibly can, or they think in terms of taking it at full retirement age or possibly delaying all the way until age 70. And you know, there's really more than just those three options, right? You can take it anywhere that you want to from age 62 all the way to age 70. And there might be an, an answer that's different than taking it at 62 or at your full retirement age, which for most people is around 65 or, si or actually it's more like 66. I'm sorry. If you're a little bit younger than at 67. And then, of course, the longest that you can delay it is to age 70. But it might make sense to, in some cases, maybe you take it at 68 or 68 and a half. Or maybe you wait until you're 65 and in a particular case versus 62. There's a variety of different elements that have to go into, and we really have to look at your particular situation as to what's going to make the most sense for you. Makes sense, Glenn. All right, let's give one more example here of a gray area kind of conversation, and it has to do with long-term care. And in particular, should you buy long-term care insurance? Right. Well, you have a question to answer if you're thinking in terms of retirement and whatnot, and that is, what are you going to do about long-term care if you have the need you know, to go into the nursing home or if you need home health care and, and those kinds of things? You know, because, I mean, that's something that you have to answer that question. And then what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with that? And obviously, a lot of people have different answers to that. You know, there's lots of different types of ways of dealing with it, Walter. You know, some people say, you know, well, you know, family's going to take care of me and this and that. And I always caution people because, you know, sometimes the family may want to, but they might not have the ability to, you know, and they, they might need to be other professionals involved. The other thing is that if you're going to you know, try to cover it some with some insurance products, what type of an insurance product? 
right? Are you going to do a traditional long-term care policy where, you know, it acts kind of similar to like a homeowner's policy where you make your periodic payment to it. And, and then at the end, if you don't use it, then, you know, all that money you know, stays with the insurance company. Or are you, you know, you're going to look at maybe some hybrid products, you know, maybe there's some different types of life insurance and different types of annuities that have long-term care benefits or living benefits that allow you to access the benefit, you know, for long-term care if you need it. But if you don't need it for long-term care, then the money in the policy would end up going to heirs. That's a very popular, you know, way of going for a lot of folks because most people really look at it and they say, you know, I really do need long-term care coverage of some sort, but the big objection is paying for it, right? <laughs> because it tends to be expensive. And they don't really want to transfer those dollars to the insurance company and then they have the insurance company keep it if they don't use it for long-term care. That's a transaction that most people don't want to enter into, right? At the same time, I mean, if, you, if there's a way of being able to use different types of insurance products to be able to cover the long-term care if, if you needed it, but if you didn't need it, then your heirs end up getting you know, a significant amount of money, then that's a little bit more palatable for most folks. And a lot of people don't really realize all the different options that are out there, and it's something that you really need to explore and make sure that you're covering it in an efficient way. Otherwise, you, know, you and I both know, it's like when you start looking at the cost of long-term care, it gets very expensive very fast. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, spending five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a month on care, it doesn't take too long before you can just, you know, spend a big nest egg very, very rapidly. And so it's really something that you really want to, you know, make sure that you're accounting for and you're making wise decisions based on the facts that are there rather than just emotions and just being afraid to really address the problem. You know, I would suggest really just cover that one. I mean, you want to make sure that you're doing something at the very least. If even if you choose to do nothing about it, you want to at least explore what your options are because there might really be an option there that really serves your needs that you just didn't know about just because, you, you know, it was outside of your awareness. So explore and find out what you can do versus what you, you know, you may think at this moment. It's always a good thing to stay educated because the insurance industry is always, you know, being innovative and creating newer and better products, you know, to take a look at. And not everyone fits everybody, but there's a lot of stuff out there that that will serve different needs. And most of the time we can find something that, that's going to fit, you know, if you're really wanting to cover that and you're wanting to you know, do it in an efficient manner. Well, Glenn, it's very helpful information on the show today, and we covered a lot of ground. If any of this struck a chord with you, it's something you'd like to talk a little bit more about with Glenn and the team, I'll invite you to give him a call at 336-291-3535. Glenn's a registered financial consultant and founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting. And if you're new to the show, he's got an office on Mears Chapel Road in Greensboro, and you can find him online at Greensboro Retirement. Dot com 336-291-3535, your number to call to set up a time to meet. Glenn can go through a complimentary initial review of your financial situation, make sure that you've got a good plan in place, and if not, start to problem solve any of the gaps that are existing in that plan. You can also schedule that time to meet from the website, and again, that's greensbororetirement.com. Look for the free consultation button at the bottom of the page. Well, Glenn, I know certainly there is one thing that doesn't have a lot of gray area, and that is your helpfulness here on the program. And we thank you once again for joining us this week. Thank you, Walter. That was a fun one. That's Glenn Mosseller. I'm Walter Sorholt. Thanks for joining us. We'll have another great topic for you next week, right back here on the Retirement Roadmap Podcast.